Would you please be seated and let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. I'd like to read for us. My apologies. Um, we are not going to get through this entire passage. It just seems the more you dig, the more is found. So um, we're reading tonight Acts 13 verses 44 through 52, and we'll be looking at verses 48 and 49 specifically. Again, listen to the Lord's word. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me and let's go to the Lord. Our Father in heaven, again, as we have just sung, we ask, O Lord, that you would guide us tonight through your word and that your blessing will be upon it. We come and ask, O Spirit, that you would help us to hear your word and help this servant to preach your word faithfully. And we pray, Lord, that you would make our hearts receptive and our minds um, attentive to uh, the word as it is broken. We ask, Father, that... Your grace would be upon us, that you will bless these means of grace. And we ask that you would revive your church, that you would reform your church, and that you would cause us, O oh Lord, uh, to cherish nothing more, more than the Lord Jesus, the head of the church. Would you bless us now, we pray, looking to your hand once again, that you would provide for us. And I humbly ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time we were together here in Acts 13, we began to examine the response to the gospel message that was preached in the synagogue that was in Pisidian Antioch. The gospel, or the good news of God's salvation in Christ, was held forth to the Jew and to the God-fearing Gentiles. And again, remember, friends, that the gospel is not about what the Lord, or the gospel is about what the Lord has done for his people, and it is not about our testimony. It is not about our decisions, decisions we have made, good choices or bad choices, or how we've made a success of our lives. We are not here to convince people of our politics or even of good moral stances, because if that is all we do, we have failed as a church to do the work we've been called to do. And I draw this from the very fact that if you just look, and I just am thrilled with Acts chapter 13, I can't tell you how much uh, in my mind keeps going back to Acts chapter 13, and in light of especially the war that is now taking place in Israel and um, between Hamas, that all these things that are happening and, and how Paul would not withhold the gospel. He would not withhold the gospel. 
we sometimes hear this idea that, well, they're Jews, so they're, they've got an automatic in into heaven. And he just never says that. He never says that. And that's, there's some kind of theology that has invaded the church and invaded our culture where we just go, well, the Jews, they, they can't do anything wrong. What's the solution? It's always the same, isn't it? And, and Jew, there Paul, a Jew himself, a Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin, right? His whole pedigree from Philippians 3. What does he say? He was an Israelite's Israelite. And he says, you need to believe upon Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, you see. That's, that's the truth. And so this moralistic, therapeutic deism that some have called what occurs in the church today is, is an accurate description. We're out trying to change people and get them to, to change this and change that, and we've lost sight of who Jesus Christ is. Maybe that's why the church is faltering, because we left the Lord of the church. So here we are. Uh, Paul is given this opportunity to speak. The apostle reminds the Jews what God has done and how in Christ Jesus the promise of God has been fulfilled, saying in verse 23 that God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. All that the law, be it moral, uh, ceremonial, or civil, all that the law uh, could not do, the law of God is incapable to save anyone's soul, um, if that was the hope, if that's anyone's hope, you'd better hope that you are perfect because that's what God demands to enter into heaven. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, said Jesus. But Christ came and did what Adam failed to do. Paul says that though he was crucified, dead, and buried, he was raised, and he says he was raised four times. It's significant because Christ conquered uh, death he conquered the effects of sin he fulfills the promise of God and he sits on David's throne forever no longer to see death again and Paul would summarize his, his statements wrap them up saying therefore let it be known to you brethren that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses this is wonderful news for a people who have looked for centuries for the consolation of Israel. This is wonderful news. Hundreds, thousands of years they had waited, and Paul says, your Messiah has come. It is not again about what we have done for the Lord, but all about what the Lord has done for us. Paul in Romans 5 would call us sinners, call us helpless, would call us enemies, and in spite of that, this is who Jesus Christ came to die for. Such wonderful news, and, and if you can imagine, it must have been such a different message than what they were accustomed to hearing. In fact, we know it was because in verse 42 we're told that the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. What a novel idea, the things you were saying. I don't feel oppressed. I remember hearing a story, a wonderful story, and I, it was true, if the man was telling me the truth, a former pastor I served under went to um, Italy. And um, he said that he met a priest who had a Martin Luther experience, who had come to faith in the Lord. And they said something, they knew something was wrong because the school children would run across the piazza or whatever it was. They'd run there and they'd go and do their confession. They said, the children, they're all coming out of the confessional happy. 
And they go, what's going on? So they, they pulled this man and this priest aside. They said, what's, what's happening here? What are you telling them that they're all so happy? He goes, oh, I tell them that they don't need me. They have a high priest in heaven, Jesus Christ, they can trust. <laughs> and they said, you need a break. And they put him on a break. And during his break, he read his Bible more and became more entrenched in the grace of God. Can you imagine how wonderful a blessing it was for these Gentiles, these Jews to hear Jesus has done it. All the things that you have labored for all these years, all of the fretting, all the worrying, all the burden that you bear has been fulfilled by Christ. What a wonderful news. What a wonderful message. And, and so um, we are told that many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who urged them to continue in the grace of God. Something wonderful has occurred in Pisidian Antioch as a result of the wonderful news of Christ being preached. For we are told that the next Sabbath, where we started tonight to read in verse 44, the next Sabbath nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. And while some Jews and Gentiles had believed, many were curious as to what this new teaching was that affected some, uh, such change in some, but not all were so thrilled, you recall, and that's why we're referring to this as the wonderful and wretched uh, response to the gospel because there was wonderful response to the gospel but then there's also this wretched aspect to the, to the message that was preached. We had discussed the last time how, um, how the Jews fought jealousy and, and, and one commentator put it forward like this. They wondered, how is it that we travel over land and sea to make one convert? And here these couple of ragamuffin apostles come and they preach the gospel and hordes of people are coming to hear. They're coming. Um, hardly any Gentiles had ever believed. And yet when these men had come from Antioch talking about Christ and all of a sudden all these people come to hear. We're told, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Now think about this, how self-centered and selfish, desiring after their own appetites, the appetites of their flesh to make it about themselves, they repudiate the gospel, they contradict the things that were spoken by Paul, they were blaspheming, cursing them, and no doubt Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They do not even consider the truth of the scriptures, what the prophets foretold, the work of God. They would attempt to hinder the work of God, the blessing uh, that would come to Jews and Gentiles alike, all because of the success of the apostles by the power of the Spirit. They were jealous. And so it became all about them and no regard for the people and the message that the Messiah had come. Notice, they, they blaspheme, they contradict, they repudiate everything the Apostle Paul had been saying. He's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting the Psalms. He's pointing out their history. And they say, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. We don't like what you're saying. This is, this is not good. We're jealous. And they do not listen. The gospel was brought to the Jews first. Because God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and promised to be a God to them and to their descendants after them. But the gospel did not come to the Jews exclusively. 
but it comes to the Gentiles as well. And we're told, since they reacted as they did, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And all I can say, friends, is be careful what you desire because what you desire may actually come to pass. We don't want to hear this. Okay, then we'll go to the Gentiles. That's a bad thing. They didn't want the gospel. They didn't want the Jesus that the scriptures foretold. They didn't want the the Jesus that the apostles preached, and therefore they would not be troubled any longer, uh, inconvenienced any longer with the truth of the gospel. So the apostles would turn from the Jews and would turn to the Gentiles, and they would take the gospel to a people who would welcome it. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, they said, and this is where we left off. And he's quoting from Isaiah the prophet. He says, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Again, quoting from Isaiah the prophet and seeing themselves as continuing God's purpose and plan to redeem not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. What was the response to the word preached? Again, what we witness here is both a wonderful and wretched response to the gospel. The Jews, of course, not all of them, repudiated and judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. But the Gentiles, as we come to verse 48 and 49, notice what the response is of the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They have heard that what Paul has just said, and they rejoice. They celebrate. <clears throat> They extol the word of the Lord. Not only that the scriptures state what they do about the Gentiles. For bear in mind, friends, the Gentiles then, even like today, uh, and which some systems of theology promote, are considered second-rate citizens or God's plan B. That's that's how we look at this thing. That's uh, the Jews. And I, I mentioned this just a little bit ago, right? The Jews, they're God's chosen people. Friends... The Lord did choose the Jews, Deuteronomy 7. He chose them. There's, there's no doubt. But you notice that Peter, in his epistle, he assigns the same language to Gentiles as well. And so it's not just the Jews. It's Jews and Gentiles. It's the church. And I really feel like I'm swimming uphill when I swim. Pardon the mixed analogy. <laughs> I really feel like I'm swimming. I'm running uphill, running up a hill. I'll leave it there. Um, because it's it's so ingrained in our society, and and it's really it's it's a bad it's bad doctrine when we we just take this attitude that the Jews can do no wrong. Now, I'm not against the Jews, but I don't think they should be. We should think theologically that they get a pass either. They've rejected their Messiah. What would they? What would it take to engraft them back into the olive tree? To receive the Messiah. That's what is necessary. And yet you never hear people say these things. The Jews need Jesus Christ. Notice the Apostle Paul, again, says they need Jesus Christ. Notice they blaspheme and Paul says, you don't want Jesus Christ? We'll go to the Gentiles and we'll tell them about Jesus Christ. So the the Gentiles um, are, are... 
we, we should think of them here as, and, and try to put yourself in their emotional shoes. How would they have felt for so long? They're Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles, going into a synagogue, hearing the law of Moses read, reciting psalms, hearing a sermon preached, and they're God-fearing because they're not completed Jews. They've not been circumcised. They've not gone the full extent of what it would take to become a Jew. So imagine that you're a Gentile and, and you're dreading it. You, you really want to know this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, there's that little issue of circumcision. I just, I don't, I'm not feeling it. <laughs> and imagine that, that this is the thing that keeps you separate. And the Jews, and they look at you and they go, well, you're a nice guy, but you're still a goy. You're still a Gentile. We don't want anything to do with you. And so there's always this disparity that's taking place. And the Gentiles are like, oh. I wish, but it's more than a wish. The gospel was for the Gentiles as well. As Paul quotes from Isaiah, understand it was always and it has always been God's purpose and plan to include along with the true descendants of Abraham, the Gentiles or the nations as well. Always from the get-go, that was always God's design. Galatians 3.8 says this, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. To Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So understand that the gospel has always, it's always been intended for the Jew and for the Gentile. The promise and blessing of salvation are not just for the Jew, I don't have to become a Jew in order to be blessed of God. Again, imagine that they are treated as a dog. Imagine being without hope. Imagine thinking you have to do all of these things in order uh, to be made right with God. This is what you've been told. Your past, your upbringing, your lineage make you or disqualify you from blessing. And Paul has said, that's not true. Now that's good news for us because our sins have created a chasm between us and our God, a separation between us and the Lord. And we will oftentimes look at our past and say, I'm kind of without hope. Or we, we sometimes as church people look at people on the street and think, they're not the right kind of person I should share the gospel with. They don't fit the, our image of the church and we really need to be careful of this because like the Jews we can say um, you really ought to make yourself clean yourself up a little then maybe we'll consider extending the hope of the gospel to you but notice that this isn't what the apostles do and believe me if anyone understood what a Gentile was and all of the stigma of the Gentile the apostle Paul would have known it and he doesn't hesitate to take the gospel to them. It would be a wonderful thing if the Lord's people could look at someone on the outside and just, regardless of who they are, they could just give them the gospel and not be and not withhold hold it back. Funny story. I was working as an assistant pastor in 
Jackson, Mississippi. And we had two guys come uh, to the church and they, they looked like they were members of the Doobie Brothers, right? Long hair, black leather vests with biker patches on them and tattoos everywhere. The one guy had a big crescent earring, you know, hanging there. And they come in and the one guy's in a crotch. Boy, have I heard this story before. You know, I'm thinking, and I was the, the pastor who was responsible for helping walk-ins. And this, these two guys come walking in, one on a crutch. And they say, hey, man, can you help us out? We need some money for a bus ticket. We're trying to get down to Daytona Beach. And here I am with my wingtip shoes and my very strict Presbyterian garb. I'll have to think about this. I have to ask you a thousand questions. And I did everything I was supposed to do. And I thought, well, I think I'm going to have to help him out. So I, I grabbed uh, our secretary. And she came with me because I thought, I'd, if I'm going to die, I want somebody at least to witness that I'm being killed. And, and these two guys got into my van. And as I'm talking to them, I, I make the comment. I said, oh, you guys look like uh, you belong in the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> and they chuckled. And they said, no, we're part of this group called Jesus People USA. And we go down to Daytona Beach and we share the gospel with people. And we, we tell them about Jesus Christ and we call them to repent. And, and, and we've seen people come to know the Lord. I felt so ashamed of myself and all the wretched thoughts that I had about these guys. It turns out they were two of the most lovely Christian brothers I have ever, ever met. And I would have, and I was doing. Oh, they're not the right candidates. Shame on me. And it's a bad thing when we take that attitude. You don't fit the mold. You don't fit our agenda, our style. And I just think it's such a beautiful thing that the Jews who were blaspheming and cursing and repudiating and, and, and saying, we don't want this, and Paul says, all right, then we'll turn to the Gentiles, a people who were looked down upon and who were not worthwhile to hear the gospel. And their response is they rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. And we have to be very careful of not allowing our pasts keep us from rejoicing in the Lord. And we have to be careful not to allow other people and, and say them, look at them and say, you're not worthy of hearing the gospel. Do you realize that's a bad thing? That's a very bad thing. Um, so they rejoice in the news that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but just as much for the Gentiles as well. And here we are recorded, or Paul, Luke records their further response. And we're told, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And here is this mysterious salvation that we considered last Sunday from Matthew 11. They, that is the Gentiles, believed the message concerning Christ did not fall on dead ears and lifeless hearts. They believed it. They became believers in Jesus Christ as the true and only Savior. Their confidence was transferred from themselves, their deeds, their flesh, to Christ. But not all of them, not all of the Gentiles believed, just as not all the Jews believed, but we are told, but as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. I love this verse. Matthew eleven twenty seven. I'll remind you what we read. All things have been handed over to me, said Jesus, by my Father. 
And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's amazing. And you wonder why some people go into a cage stage. I can understand it. Because it's a beautiful, beautiful testimony. First, First Corinthians 1. I mean, and there's so many verses. And I, I won't give you, but just a, a few here. But First Corinthians 1, 26-31. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is, that is phenomenal. Clearly, those who were appointed believed. They believed. To be appointed, it means to put in place, to station, to obtain eternal life, or to whom God had decreed eternal life. I'll pull a Stephen Lawson here. It's in the passive. <laughs> Which means these Gentiles didn't choose God, but that God acted upon them. It's in the perfect tense. The action was completed in the past once for all with no need of being repeated. Listen to Ephesians 1, 3. Uh, and 4a blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ listen just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world the Lord decreed with his loving decree to appoint as many as he wanted and again only because of his kind intention to eternal life that the mistaken notion of election, the doctrine of, elect, of election or predestination, is that somehow we are saying that we are more deserving than others, and therefore God saw, he looked down the corridors of time and saw that we were worthy because we would choose him, and so he chose us. That's not only bad theology, that's illogical. And it makes God small and it makes man supreme. That is nowhere supported in the scripture at all. Nowhere. He chooses us only because it pleases him to do so. That's the only reason. We weren't shinier marbles. We weren't more promising candidates. In fact, if you read Deuteronomy 7, he says, I chose you and you weren't the biggest, you weren't the brightest, you weren't the prettiest. <laughs> I chose you just because I wanted to choose you. And so there is no boasting. So as Paul would say, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. People will not come and cannot come apart from God's sovereign grace calling them to himself. But those whom he decrees, they most willingly and joyfully come when the voice of the shepherd calls them. That's what we see happening here. That's what we see happening 
again, the, the mistaken notion that we are just robots. And, and again, we, we err when we say, I, well, you didn't believe. Well, of course you believed. Of course you believed. The question is, how were you made able to believe? That's the pertinent question. Our catechism, question 31 in the shorter catechism, says, what is effectual calling? Listen to this diamond. Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. In other words, you were dead in your sins and trespasses, and God made you alive. He made you alive. He made you to hear I'm an example of that. I grew up in the church, baptized by my grandfather a couple of months after my birth, raised in the church, going to Sunday school. Got, I have an African spoon somewhere that I received for reciting Bible verses. I've got a ceramic boot somewhere that I got for saying Bible verses. I couldn't tell you the first thing about the gospel. And then one day, I started to feel a weight about sin. What's that? I've never felt that before. Why am I bothered all of a sudden? And it grew, and the sin grew, and the burden grew until I couldn't breathe. And then I heard this wonderful news that there's no sin so big that Jesus Christ can't forgive it. And I felt the weight drop from my shoulders. And I looked to the Lord in his grace. All who were appointed to eternal life believed. That's what the Lord does. That's what we see here with these, these Gentiles. They had been appointed to eternal life and they believed. It is a difficult statement for for many to accept, and yet Jesus said it. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. John 6, 65. They believed because God appointed them to it. You believe because God appointed you to it. And we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. God has promised to save his people. Our job, my friends, is not to figure out who those are and scatter seed there, but to scatter the seed of the gospel indiscriminately. And the Lord, by his spirit, will save those he has appointed, placing within them, by the power of his spirit, living hearts, hearing ears, that they believe the gospel message spoken. And this is what we see. And the result of their conversion from death to life, we read in verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Notice, friends, the gospel has imparted life, new life to these Gentiles who believed. They don't hide the light of the gospel. They are not ashamed of it. The word of God, not, and I'm not speaking about leather and onion paper, but the truth of who Jesus Christ is, uh, whom the prophets foretold, uh, the truth concerning the forgiveness of sins and our freedom from sins are spread through the whole region. New creatures have new affections. And these new believers, with enthusiasm, take the good news of Jesus Christ to the streets throughout the whole region. Friends, do you, do you recall? 
Do you recall what Jesus Christ did for you? Do you remember the shameful past out of which you have been delivered? Do you remember the burden of your sin? The sick feeling in your gut you felt when you thought someone would find out what you had done? Do you remember the dread and the remorse, the guilt, the fear of dying and going to hell? And I don't remind you of these things to beat you up, but to remind you how great a Savior, how great a salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Just notice this. Just notice this. When we're talking about the wretched and the wonderful and wretched response uh, to the gospel, and we see in Mass here now the Gentiles are being brought into the church. See how great a response they had. Why was their response so great? Because they were left to believe that there was no hope for them unless they had converted to Judaism. And if they could work hard enough, then they could get in. Sometimes, and more and more, I think we are too wise and too sophisticated for our own good, for the kingdom's sake. What do I mean by that? We explain away everything. We just explain away everything. You should share the gospel. You shouldn't overthink it. It's not that complicated. Ready? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Boom. We have a special knack as Presbyterians and as Reformed for overcomplicating everything. But the gospel is sweet. It is so sweet and it's so simple that even a child can understand it, as is evidenced this morning by Sharon's reading that testimony. It's wonderful and it's simple. And sometimes we overthink these things where we become too sophisticated and we hold back sharing. I don't know what kind of theologians these Gentiles were. I don't. I don't know what they knew. But we read, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. All I know is that I was dead, and now I'm alive. All I know is that once I feared going to hell, and now I have the hope of eternal life. Can I tell you about Jesus Christ? I've thought about this cage stage, and I've used that phrase often. And it's referred to to, uh, Christians and they're coming to an understanding of the doctrines of grace, meaning the the five points of Calvinism, right? Total depravity, uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. And the guy's always got to say, but it's God who saves. It's God who saves. And you go, oh, dude, you need to lighten up. You need to go, go away somewhere for five or six years until you settle down. And, and I can understand that, and I can appreciate uh, that sometimes we get irritated uh, with this. But there is something awfully sweet and wonderful about a person who comes to understand the doctrines of grace. The Christian who understands for the first time, perhaps, how truly lavish and great a love has been bestowed upon him, not for any reason found in himself. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to shut him up. Maybe we could come alongside of him and say, well, let's try saying it this way. We don't want to curb the enthusiasm of people who have come to realize what a sovereign gift is given to us in the gospel. I fear sometimes we've lost this. We've lost this in the American church. 
we've lost this in the American church because we want to be sophisticated and we want to be considered polished by the world and not fanatical. I think we've made a mistake. I think every Christian should be fanatical for Jesus Christ. I really do. And I'm tired of hiding. And I'm tired of trying to be so proper that I never open my mouth and say it. You're in sin and you need to repent. But we have a Savior who will redeem you. I just find this this whole thing, excuse me, is so encouraging to read how the gospel affects these people and how, without concern about themselves or their reputations, will freely speak of the love of God for sinners and of the gospel that God has accomplished salvation for us. And it's not about what we do, but about what he has done. And rest assured, if you're afraid, well, what if, what if they get saved, but they don't change their life? Friends, anyone who gets saved, anyone who is indwelt by the Spirit of God, is never going to rest easy in their sin. That's a fact. That's a fact. You can't. If you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, you are not going to rest easy in your sin, and they will repent, and they will turn. And that's part of the beauty of the gospel and what makes it so attractive this guy was a jerk and the lord has changed him what's come over you i'm so glad you asked let me tell you you see it's a it's a wonderful thing these gentiles again overwhelmed by the grace of god in christ do not remain silent but they spread the news far and wide jesus saves amen amen Amen. let's pray We thank you, Father, again for your word, for the um, sweet record of your grace moving upon the Gentiles. And here we are in a sanctuary halfway around the world, a bunch of Gentiles who have tasted and seen that you are good. We ask, O Father, that you would revive your church and help us, Lord, to be sold out to Jesus Christ, to make him known, to spread your gospel far and wide. Would you, Lord, please bless us to this and get us over the fear of men, get us over um, the fear and the desire to be respected. We pray, Lord, that we would have our concerns cast aside and that our main concern, our only concern, would be to lift up the name of Jesus that our neighbors might be saved. We ask for your help and for your blessing to this end and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.